Welcome to 12 Minutes of Dauntless Commentary on Widely Unaccepted Truth from God's Word. Hang on to your Bible. I am Elsie Breeden, and this is Audaciously Unpopular. One thing I love about the Word of God is how that you can be familiar with something, and another look always reveals something else. Maybe it's something you've read a thousand times and you're very familiar with it. Maybe it's something you've even memorized or a story you've heard your entire life. But one more study, one more look into it, and you see something that's never clicked before. And you're convicted by something you haven't seen before. That happened to me a couple of months ago in a Bible study on on Hannah. If you find Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and 2, and... If you don't know her, she is the second wife of a man named Elkanah. And although his other wife has plenty of children, Hannah has none. And it is her desire, her heart's desire to have a child. And she's depressed about it. She's distraught. There's even drama between her and the other wife about who can have kids and so who is better and all of that stuff. So right after we're introduced to Hannah, and her family in 1 Samuel chapter 1, they travel to the tabernacle to sacrifice and to worship. And Hannah at this point is distraught, desperate. And so she goes to the tabernacle to pray because as an Israelite, as a woman of faith, she knows that the answer to her desperation is God, the only one who can fix her physically and enable her to have a child is God. God. And so she goes and she begins to pray and beg God for a child. And she is so desperate, so fervent in her prayer that the priest, Eli, thinks that she is drunk. He watches her as she's praying. And I'm sure there were many tears as she's as she's begging God for this desire that she has. And there's no sound coming out. So her lips are moving, but no sound is coming out. And so Eli comes over to interrupt her prayer and probably for the main reason to just get her to leave. And so he engages her in conversation and he asks her to leave and she lets him know, hey, I'm not drunk. I'm here because I have a desire in my heart to have a child. And I know that God is the one who can give me that child. And so there's that little exchange. And in that, Hannah says that if God would give her a son, that she would give him back to God and that she would dedicate him to the service of the Lord all the days of his life. And so Eli apparently was very easily convinced that she was not drunk and that she had a legit prayer, or maybe he was still just trying to get rid of her. Either way, Eli tells her, may the Lord grant your petition. Just get out of here. (laughs) Like, may everything you've said be so. May the Lord answer your prayers exactly as you have prayed them. Now, will you please go? So Hannah leaves and God answers her prayer. God gave her exactly what she asked for, and she had a son and called him Samuel. Now, if you know the story, then you know that she also kept her end of the deal, so to speak, and she returned Samuel to the Lord. When he was old enough to wean, she took him back to the tabernacle, back to Eli, and she left him there for Eli to raise, for him to work in the tabernacle under Eli's direction. And he, that's where he grew up. And 
she may have seen him once a year, but the child that she had so desperately wanted, she gave up. She gave him back to the Lord. And as we were going through this story again, I saw this. What if God gave her the thing that she asked for simply because he knew that she was willing to give it back? Answering this prayer for Hannah was not going to be detrimental to her relationship with God. She was going to still seek God. And the thing that he was giving her, she was giving back. And so then I I started thinking, how many times do we pray for something specifically, desperately, fervently, with faith, and then we wonder why we don't get it? And there's several things in Scripture. The first thing that comes to mind is in James, it says, you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. How many times do we ask for something simply because it'll make our lives easier or we think that's what we need to make us happy and then we don't get it and we're like, I thought God was good. Why, Why wasn't this prayer answered? Why didn't I get what I wanted? It says to delight myself in the Lord and he'll give me the desires of my heart. How many times has, has that been quoted over me? And yet I didn't get what I wanted. But maybe, maybe he doesn't give us what we ask for because he knows we'll hold on to it. That gift, that thing that we desire, we'll hold on to it instead of him. As James says, we don't receive because we ask with the wrong motives. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. There's this exchange here. These these things that we must be willing to give up because in comparison to him, they're not worth that much. Does that mean we're not supposed to love our family? Absolutely not. But we're supposed to love him more because we can't hold on to anything instead of him. It's not worth it. It's not worth the risk of holding on to something other than God. Exodus thirty four fourteen calls him a jealous God. He is not willing to share our affections with anything or anyone else. In Deuteronomy 4, verse 24, and also in Hebrews 12, verse 29, he is referred to as a consuming fire. He desires to have all of us. And so when we come to him and we ask him for that thing, that desire that that we want, we just we have to have this. This will make our lives so much better. This is what we want. This is our desire. And we come to him. Is it possible that sometimes he doesn't answer that prayer exactly like we wanted it because he is a jealous God and he is not willing to share our affections and share our attention and share our praise with this gift that he could give us because it's not him. James also says that every good and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. He is capable of giving good gifts. We know in the Bible that we are given favor, that he doesn't withhold good things from us. But what we determine good and what we seek after and what we want as that good thing, if it takes us away from him, it's not that good thing. He's not withholding a good thing from us if that good thing is going to take our attention away from him. Our estimation of good is not the same as his. 
So what could he do if we were willing to let go what he gives us? If you look at the story of Hannah again and what she did with her child, she took Samuel and gave him back to the Lord. Samuel became a priest, a prophet, and a judge in Israel. He anointed kings and he communicated God's word because Hannah let go. Because she was willing to give that good and perfect thing, that gift that she had been so graciously given as a result of her prayer, but she was willing to give it back to God. She gave her son back to God. Some of us are holding on to things that are way less precious. We're holding on to old mindsets. We're holding on to what people spoke over us. We're holding on to these things. What could he do if we let them go? In Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, it says to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. If we let go of our own understanding, if we let go of our own concepts of things, what could he do with us then? What could he do if we let go? In Psalm 55, it says, Cast your burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. In Psalm 28, verse 6 and 7, it says, Blessed be the Lord, because he has heard the voice of my supplication. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and I am helped. What happens when we let go? What what can he do? What are the possibilities of ministry, of growth, of effectiveness in the kingdom when we let go? Maybe one of the best examples of God being able to use something when we let it go is found in Mark 14, verse 35 and 36. We find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It says in verse 35, And he went a little beyond them and fell to the ground and began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass him by. And he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. He recognizes, he prays in faith, he asks specifically, but there's that clause, yet not what I will. So go and ask specifically, ask for great things, be confident in who he is, confident in his power and his ability to move in great ways in your life, but do it with a willingness to let go. Because when we let go and we let him have Whatever it is, whether it's that good thing that he has entrusted to us, whether it's that hard thing that we're not sure what to do with, when we let go of it, when we take our hands off of it and say, God, this belongs to you. My bank account belongs to you. My relationship belongs to you. My career belongs to you. My job belongs to you. Everything that I have in my hands, the good and the bad, the things I I want and the things I'm not sure I even need. These things belong to you and so have your will in my life and let go and see what he can do with what you let go. You might be asking, but how do I do this? How do I let go? You start by conversations with the Father, just like Hannah, just like Jesus. You go and you begin to pour your heart out to him, everything that is in it, and know that he can do something even when you let go. In fact, he can work even more when you let go.